This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Wednesday Afternoon Show. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about things that are going on in your lives, even in this crazy world that we're living in. All you have to do is call us. You can dial area code 210-340-9585. It's 340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and you will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, there's a lot going on tonight, of course, is our midweek Old Testament Bible study, Genesis 24. Um, One of the, and and it's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis, but it is also one of the most supernatural and one of the ones that speaks more directly to how much God loves you and how much he loves me than any other. Because it's so long, I'm going to be teaching a little differently tonight than I normally teach, but uh, it is a majestic chapter in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 24. And then a quick reminder, Paula will be live in studio with me tomorrow on the date day edition of the program. So, um, ladies, especially for you, if you need any encouragement or have any questions for Paula, she will be here. Um, last week we had so many phone calls that she didn't get to talk about the stuff that she had, so I'm sure she's got a lot to talk about. But uh, that is tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word. Well, let me get to some questions while we await your phone calls. Uh, my first question today is from Nacho from our email inbox. And he said, the land grant God promised to Israel through Abraham, how far did it extend? Now, because of what God said in Deuteronomy 19.8, was it ever totally conquered? And then his last question is, is this the same grant to be the territory of the new Jerusalem as described in Revelation 21, verse 16? Now, let me read those two verses for you. And uh, uh, Nacho actually brought something up that I had never considered before, and I think it's it's really good. Deuteronomy 19.8 says, If the Lord your God enlarges your territory as he promised on oath to your ancestors and gives you the whole land, uh, he promised them, and then it goes on, but the idea is the totality of the land. And then Revelation 21.16 says, The city was laid out like a square. As long as it was wide, he measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia, that's 1,400 miles in length, and as wide and high as it is long. A couple of things about this. Um, Nacho, the first question is easy. Israel never completely um, occupied the land that God gave them to this day. I uh, was doing a teaching when we were talking about the Abrahamic Covenant on Wednesday night, and we, we put on our, on our uh, big screens uh, a, a picture of the Middle East um, with all of the land God promised to Israel highlighted, and, and it was staggering. I mean, it's in Saudi Arabia and, and, and so much land, uh, most of Egypt. Um, uh, they never came close to that. Now, under David, they occupied more of it than at any other time before or since, 
but uh, they have never fully occupied uh, the land that God has given them. One of the problems, I know this isn't part of your question, Nacho, but one of the problems with the current peace negotiations, you know, between some of the um, uh, Middle Eastern countries and Israel is that they all depend on a two-state solution. And and God says, no, 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 there's not going to be a two-state solution. I gave the, the land all of it, including yours, Egypt, including yours, Saudi Arabia, and including yours uh, for much of, of Iran and, and uh, much of Iraq, um, Jordan, certainly. Um, that, that's all Israel's. And, and God doesn't negotiate. He, he gives, it's his to give, and, and that's what he's done. So they've never occupied it at all. Now, what amused me about your question, Nacho, is I never considered the, the, the land grant to be the territory of the New Jerusalem as described in Revelation 21, verse 16. Um, that comes down out of heaven, so I don't think it is, and I, I don't know uh, what 12,000 um, stadia, the 1,400 miles in length, I, we'd have to do some some um, impossible calculations to see, but I don't think they are. But it's interesting, because I've never even considered it before, so it, it's a great question. So I, I don't have an answer to that other than, hmm, I don't know. I just don't know. Great question. Whenever I think about the land that God promised to Israel and think about how they settled for less than God's best, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm always sort of pricked in the heart because uh, it's still true, um, Nacho and for anybody else that this is, is will minister to, it's still really, really um, saddens me that New Testament Christians settle for so much less than God's promised us. God's promised us everything. It has nothing to do with land. He's promised us so much. And like Israel, remember what happens to Israel in the physical realm happens to New Testament Christians in the spiritual realm. And too many of us, we settle for way less than God's blessed, God's best. And and I, I just, I can't imagine how it breaks his heart. It breaks my heart, and God's heart is more easily broken in my heart and certainly a lot bigger than my heart. So those are things that we need to consider. When when God says, all of this is yours and we don't take it, um, boy, how disappointing that must be to our Father in Heaven. William wants to know, will people who get saved in the Great Tribulation be raptured when they get saved. William, no. Uh, the people that get saved in the Great Tribulation, now remember, Christians are going to be uh, taken out of here before the Great Tribulation begins. We're going to be raptured. We're going to be with Jesus at the wedding supper um, that, that he's prepared for us. Uh, and then uh, as the Spirit moves, uh, as things get worse than I can describe, uh, you talk about bleak, um, um, there are people going to get saved. In fact, I've said often on this program that it's going to be the greatest revival in the history of the world. But those people, there's no rapture, there's no escape. Most of them are going to be martyred for their faith. Overwhelmingly, most of them who give their lives to Jesus during the Great Tribulation will give, uh, will lose their heads, that will be, be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. So, uh, no raptured. You can find them in the book of Revelation. Um, they're, they're under the altar of God in heaven. They're souls crying out, How long, O Lord, till you avenge our death? And, and he says, A little while longer. And um, they will be um, murdered for their faith because they refuse to take the mark of the beast. Um, things here on earth for them will be terrible, and then they die. Um, but that's just the way it is. But uh, we're going to see them uh, in heaven at the end of the Great Tribulation. So, a uh, good question, William. No second chance, no escape from the earth. The only people that are going to survive the Great Tribulation, uh, there are, are 144,000 Jewish witnesses or, or Jewish evangelists um, filled with, with supernatural power from the Holy Spirit. God is going to mark them with a seal to protect them from death. In other words, they're going to be invincible. So all of them are going to survive the entire 
um, seven years and go into the millennium, of course. Um, but but others who give their life to Jesus um, when they they recognize the, the the Christians who are gone or the the humans who are gone are all Christians and they realize that 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 rapture stuff was true. Jesus really is coming back. Well, that's when um, they're going to make a decision. Am I going to stand with and for Jesus even when it costs me my life? And the answer to that question is going to determine where we spend eternity. You know, I've had people tell me, William, that, um, well, you know, if I, we get a second chance, if, if, the great, if the rapture of the church is true, when Christians are taken away, then I'll give my life to Jesus. And I always tell them the same thing. If you won't give your life to Jesus now, while well, it's easy, what makes you think you're going to give it your life to him when it's going to cost you your life to do so? So for everyone in this audience who is an evangelist, you need to go out and ask people that question. Good question. Thank you, William. 340-9585. Here's a question from Tracy. It's actually just a comment. Um, an uninformed one, by the way. Tracy, thank you for putting your name on it anyway. You said, I think Paul was a racist who didn't condemn slavery. Uh, Tracy, to charge the Apostle Paul. Now, um, I, I don't know if you're a professing believer. It's hard for me to imagine a professing believer could say such a thing. So, um, if you are, how would you explain to the Apostle Paul when you get to heaven the man used by God to do greater things than any other person who's ever lived. How do you explain to him that you charge him with being a racist? Paul, who writes, there's no Greek nor Jew. When in the world that he lived in, there was unbelievable animosity between Gentiles and Jews. How are you going to accuse him of being a racist? Now, you also said he didn't condemn slavery. That's why you thought he was a racist. You don't understand what slavery in the ancient world was. This was not a black and white issue. I think too often, Tracy, from a Western perspective, we think the world sort of depends completely on America and the things that happen in our history. It doesn't. The world has had slavery from the very beginning, since the fall. In Paul's day, Paul was a Roman citizen. Rome was the empire that ruled the world. To be a Roman citizen, you either had to be born to a family of Roman citizens or you had to buy a very expensive citizenship. And so slavery had nothing to do with different races of people. Slavery was an economic factor, and slaves outnumbered free men four to one in the ancient world or in the biblical world. So the world that Paul was preaching in, um, he had to deal with things as they were, not as we wished they would be. And the fact is, Slaves were getting saved. And when slaves got saved, they need to know, what do I do now? You know, Jesus Christ set me free, but, but I'm really not free in this world. And um, um, they needed instruction. So Paul told them, be the best slave you can. If you can get your freedom, get it. But work hard as unto the Lord, because it's your Lord that you're serving in heaven. He's the one who's giving us our rewards. So this wasn't um, racist at all. Uh, it was economic. Um, Jews often enslaved other Jews simply because they owed debts. Um, sometimes people didn't have anything to eat. Their families would die, so they sold themselves into slavery. Uh, it was a brutal world, but it was not slavery that existed as it did in the beginning of our nation's founding. So, Tracy, those are harsh, harsh words. Do not judge lest ye yourself be judged by God. That's an appropriate response to your question. Paul was simply saying this. If you're a slave, be a good one, but be a slave for Jesus. You'll also remember that Paul himself referred um, to his circumstances as being a prisoner of Christ. He was a prisoner of Rome, but no, I'm, I'm a prisoner for Jesus. The same principle applies in this issue of slavery. We've got to stop thinking in 21st century um, or, or even um, 17th, 18th, 19th, or 20th century terms. 
uh, in the West when it comes to the things of world history. We also have to stop judging people who live under a completely different set of rules, a completely different worldview than we do. We don't get an opportunity to look back and say, well, they should have known these things. It was a world that was the same. So Paul was not a racist. Uh, I think this would be a good time for you to, if you're not a believer, surrender your heart to Jesus. If you are a professing believer, to ask the Lord for forgiveness for making such a dire statement about one of the true heroes of our faith, apart from Jesus, the true hero of our faith. Here is an anonymous question. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to avoid the question, but I, uh, it's a little bit personal about uh, our school and church. Uh, Pastor Ron, do you have any regrets about reopening your church in the pandemic? Second, what about reopening your school? How could you live with yourself if kids get sick? Uh, you know, I'm tired of talking about these things, Anonymous. Um, I have no regrets about reopening the church. Um, uh, as you likely are referring to, we had an outbreak of COVID-19 um, mid to, to mid-June to early July here in the church. We had more than 50 people got sick. Nobody died. Nobody was hospitalized. Um, um, everybody got well and everybody is back serving the Lord. So uh, I have no regrets. And and uh, not only do I not have regrets, uh, I actually regret closing the church. You know, when we got sick, necessarily we closed it for a quarantine period. I think that was right. But um, we'll, we'll never close our church again. Um, uh, it doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter what uh, people say this is what we're commanded by God to do. So there are no regrets, and um, um, our church is doing just fine. People are coming back, and while we're wearing masks and observing social distancing rules, um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of people that that are ready to come back that we can't fit into the building yet, frankly, and um, and and I, I regret that we aren't going back to full capacity yet. Uh, people don't do well when they're not in church. They don't do well when they're not being taught. They don't do well when they're not in fellowship, when they're not using the gifts of the Spirit that God gave them. So uh, when you look at the people, you can look at statistics, you can watch news stations, uh, but when you, as this pastor has done, when you look at the lives of people that are falling apart, when you see people falling away from the Lord, when you see the enemy pounding them, um, then you know they need you and you've got to be there for them. So no regrets about reopening the church. Regarding the school, we reopened the school, of course, for in-person uh, learning. Uh, and we did it sort of in a phased capacity. You know, we, we, everybody came back, but we would stagger days so that we could maintain appropriate social distance. We have a small facility, and if we were going to maintain appropriate social distance in all the classrooms, it had to be that way. Well, when we come back on um, um, next week, we come back on Monday, um, it'll be the new quarter, and we're going back to the full church. Uh, we're going to do the best that we can to, um, to social distance. Uh, there will be some classes where that's impossible, uh, but the kids are back in school. They want to be back in school. They need to be back in school all the time. And we have overwhelming support from our kids and from uh, our, our our parents um, and our staff who, who has served heroically through all of this. Um, it's time to get back to normal. Now, let me say this before I answer your last question. This pandemic, like any other illness... Uh, is something that we're going to live with. Not just in this country, but in the world. This isn't going away anytime soon. This isn't something that we can sort of run away from. We can't hide. Every time people hide, um, then when they do come out for something, they get it. And, and um, you know, we have to learn to live with this. I know President Trump uh, took a lot of heat for saying this is something we have to live with. And 
People shouted, no, people are dying with this. No, they're not. The number of people that are dying from COVID uh, itself is impossibly small. Um, Yes, it affects people differently in different ways. Yes, it's serious, and we want to take it seriously. Uh, Yes, we want people to protect themselves if they're in vulnerable groups. But at the same time, we don't run. Healthy people don't run from other illnesses. And yet that's what we've been doing since this whole quarantine madness started. We've shut down an, an entire economy. We've polarized people one against the other over things like masks and social distancing instead of just saying, okay, church, let's be the church. So um, we reopened our school. We're going to continue to keep it open. Um, with regard to your question, and I actually um, am offended a little bit by your question. Uh, how could I live with myself if kids get sick? Um, the reason that offends me is because whoever you are, um, you obviously don't know me. You don't know the things that we've done to keep people safe here. Um, you also don't understand that these kids can get sick anywhere. It's amazing to me how people will have no qualms about going to HEB or Sam's Club and exposing themselves, not to mention the workers, thinking, well, it's right for them to be here because we need stuff. And then those same people won't send their kids to school. And they're watching their children fall apart in front of their very eyes. If somebody gets sick, if a kid gets sick, they'll get better. I didn't give it to them. I can't protect them from it. What I can do is try to make these kids' lives as normal as can possibly be. And without exception, the children in our school want to be here. They want to be here all the time. So... um, Normal is a good thing, and, and nothing is going to be normal for a long time. Don't misunderstand me. But but not only is it unreasonable, it's unfair to to put the blame on me or anybody else if somebody gets sick. The world is open again. It needs to stay open. And people are going to get sick. And then they're going to get better. And that's what we need to understand is the truth. Oh, that hurts my heart. Here is an, an, another anonymous question. I think we're inside a couple minutes for this half of the program. We'd love your live calls at 340-9585. Uh, this anonymous question is, Am I being unloving for not affirming same-sex relationships? Uh, I hope you're not doing it in an unloving way, but no, of course you're not. You're being loving for not affirming them because we don't want to affirm nor approve of any relationship that is going to condemn somebody to an eternity in hell. The most unloving thing we can do is let people sin without offering them the cure for their disease. Sin is a disease. It is always fatal. Jesus is the answer for that disease. And um, the most loving thing that we can do is tell people that this is a relationship that doesn't please the Lord. It's a relationship that he defines as sinful. And then we tell them that God has so much better for them than any sin they might choose. I think we need to be loving in the presentation of that. But it is not unloving to tell them the truth. As long as we're telling the truth in love, we're innocent before God. And I don't think that's true, Anonymous, that we're innocent before God if we don't tell them. I think that we're sort of um, miniature watchmen on the wall and people in our lives that we need to care about. If it's family members and uh, they want you to approve of their sinful relationship, you've got to say, I love you. 
I can't. I can't imagine heaven without you, and that's why I'm telling you. So no, you're not being unloving at all. Be kind, be polite, understand the difficulty that people in the world uh, have who are, who are involved in relationships like this. But tell them that there's an answer, and Jesus has so much more for them than they're allowing themselves to enjoy. It's a question of heaven or hell, and we've got to make the decision about what we're going to tell people, and what we tell them is going to prove whether or not we truly love them at all. You can't love somebody and let them sin their way into hell. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Wednesday show, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. We'd love your phone calls. We'll be back in two minutes. Got a question for Pastor Ron and the word to stand on for life? You can send it to him via email at PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our program. Remember, Genesis 24 tonight here at Calvary Chapel. You can watch it live at calvarysa.com beginning at 7 o'clock. I understand Amy is going to be doing worship for us tonight. So I am excited about that as well. Hey, I, I was corrected. My producer is always waiting for me to make mistakes. He corrected me uh, during the break, and I want to be sure that I, I, I straighten it out. Uh, I said in question to the reopening our church and school that I said that we're reopening our church back uh, full on, on Monday, um, the, the, the next Monday. And and I meant, of course, we're reopening our school. All of the kids are coming back, and we'll be at school at the same time. So our church is is still a little bit of ways uh, from um, being back to 100% capacity, but uh, our school is going to be back to 100% capacity on Monday. So, got that. Here's a question from Jason. Jason says, Pastor, and I know God is loving, but... Do not understand why he allows evil. May I have your thoughts? Um, Jason, you know God is loving, and I'm glad you said that, but you, you need to remember that when other questions come up. One of, the, one of the first rules of hermeneutics is try to understand the things that are difficult to understand through the lens or the filter of what you do understand for sure. Now, we know God is loving, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. God loved. God gave. And and the the question of God loving us ought to be settled for every believer once and for all. I understand people in the world that don't accept that. But for Christians, well, God, if you love me, why is this happening? Or um, God loves you. He proved it once and for all. And we should never, ever let the enemy whisper in our ear that God doesn't love you. He tried that with Jesus, and Jesus just told him what was written. So God is loving. We know it for sure. Now, regarding why God allows evil, well, Jason, why would we blame God for evil in the world? The only alternative to God allowing it is to stop it. And if God stops it, he has to stop all evil. God doesn't know degrees, so it's not like he says, okay, well, I'm gonna, these sins are sort of less wicked or less evil, so I'm going to be patient with them, but, but these really bad ones, I'm going to stop those. God doesn't do that. He can't do that. So, Jason, when God stops evil, he's going to stop it all. And he's going to do that. You can read about it in Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus returns. And then there's going to be no more evil. And in the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth, when, when evil rears its head, it will, because there are going to be um, uh, humans, fallen humans, um, God is going to judge it instantly. 
But now he's patient. Peter says, unwilling that any should perish. So God allows evil now in his patience because the full harvest of Gentiles has not yet come in. So he's going to stop all evil. Now here's the way to understand this. And and Jason, I'm just going to use you as an example. This isn't personal. But let's say that there's somebody who murders a bunch of people. And we can all agree that's evil. Or somebody who's raped somebody. Just we, we know we all know what evil really looks like. But let's just say, Jason, that, that at the same time, um you're involved in a sexually immoral relationship with somebody that you care about, but you know God doesn't approve. Well, if God stops evil, he's going to stop you and the murder at the same time. So God's being patient for for believers wanting us to come back to him, for unbelievers wanting to turn to him. God is waiting patiently to deal with this problem of sin. Again, that time is coming. It just hasn't yet come. When it comes, the door is going to be shut. And after the great tribulation and Jesus sets up his kingdom, there's going to be perfect justice, perfect fairness, perfect righteousness. And still people are going to rebel against God. It's not God's fault that there's evil. And yet God is patient with those who are evil. Why? Because he wants us to come to know him. Let's go to Jeff on line one from San Antonio. Jeff, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi there, Pastor R. Ball. <laughs> I'm doing good, Jeff. It's that first syllable. I know it hangs on for a while. So I, yeah. think I, it a bit. I, fi- I finally made it, Pastor. On Monday, I finally crossed that precipice. I'm now exactly two months younger than Sam. <laughs> He, he's laughing at you. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I know Ken's laughing at all of us, so. <laughs> Happy birthday, Jeff. Thanks. Uh, Pastor, uh, oh, oh, by the way, I prayed for you on Saturday. I had to go to the driver's license, my division of motor vehicles, and I just got over to the church just after you and you left. Oh, and, uh, okay. There were men working inside, as as usual. Everyone's working there, uh, yeah. but uh, I did I did stop and and uh, just take a breath of Calvary Chapel air, and it was <laughs> it was good for me. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate the prayers always. Yes, sir. Um, I don't know if I've ever heard you talk about the curse of Ham from Genesis nine, and you know reading about the. Uh, uh, the alt white supremacists that are that are talking about that yet again yeah. uh, in context of slavery that Noah actually cursed him and and uh, you know I've read historically people like Jonathan Edwards even used the curse of Ham to validate slavery so I wonder if you would touch on that a little bit yeah I, I can Jeff and it's it's tragic again when I said earlier into another question. That that we we when people lived in different eras, um, we can't judge them by the standards of of light or information that we have now. Um, uh, slavery was a horrible question that was dealt with in the world. Uh, William Wilberforce in England and slavery was dealt with here, and and sadly, there's always people who are going to try to find biblical justifications for sin. Um, but but there's no biblical justification for sin, not ever. Um, and, and we can say, yeah, they have the same Holy Spirit we do. They should have known um, what's sin and what isn't sin. Um, but they didn't. They lived in a world where slavery was uh, as much a part of their life as getting up in the morning and brushing their teeth uh, is for us. Uh, and so they, they didn't see it. And, and, and they were... Um, ill-informed Christians then, just like there are ill-informed Christians now. I think, Jeff, uh, and I'm not avoiding your question about him, I'll get to it in a moment, but uh, I think um, a hundred years from now, when um, Christians look back and see how politicized uh, the Western church is here in the United States, 
um, um, in these political times, I think they're going to have a, a complete lack of understanding. How could they get so involved in politics? How could they not be focused on the gospel, on evangelism, on using the gifts of the Spirit? Um, and, and you know, they're not any better qualified to judge us than we are to judge Jonathan Edwards. Um, slavery is a sin. God condemns men-stealers, to use the King James term, um, uh, identifies them with murderers and the like. So there's no uh, justification for it. Now, using Ham... Uh, demonstrates a misunderstanding not only of history, but but a, a, a rudimentary misunderstanding of, of how to interpret our Bibles. First of all, we know that Noah has no power to curse anybody. Noah was speaking prophetically. And he didn't curse Ham. Cursed be Canaan. And Canaan was a son of Ham, generations beyond. And Canaan really was cursed. That was just a prophetic statement. It wasn't uh, within Noah's purview to be able to curse anybody. And um, uh, it was simply a prophetic statement down the road, cursed be Canaan, and Canaan, of course, was cursed. And and the Canaanites were, were mortal enemies of God's people, Israel. And we also know it was the land of the Canaanites that was given over to Israel in the campaign, the seven-year campaign of Joshua. So, Jeff, uh, those are the issues, and, and any time anybody tries to justify something that you know is sin, you can just cut them off instantly and say um, that you need Jesus or you need to understand your Bible, uh, because that wasn't at all what was going on. Great question, Jeff. Thank you very much. Let's go to Jonathan calling from uh, San Antonio on line two. Jonathan, thanks for holding. You're on the air. How you doing, Pastor Ron? Thanks for having me on again. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Uh, I can have... I kind of have two questions. Um, um, first one is, what's the hardest thing that you've had to do as a pastor? And second, I know that sometimes there's situations that, you know, sometimes even some pastors can't deal with. Are there other, like, experienced pastors that maybe you consult for advice, or, or how do you handle, you know, situations like that when you come across them? I'll, I'll leave it to you. Thank you, Jonathan. Those are good questions, but they're hard ones. Um, you know, whenever I think about the hard things that we've had to do, uh, there's so many different categories of hard. Let me say, uh, just in the, in, in the normal routine of things, I think the single most difficult thing any pastor has to do is marriage counseling. Um, it, it is uh, thankless, uh, often fruitless. It is heartbreaking and, um, you know, when Christians refuse to act like Jesus tells us to behave, um, there's always pain. And, and to see the damage that's done in homes, to see the, the things that children have been exposed to with, with a mom and a dad that can't get along, uh, to see how their witness for Christ is so compromised and damaged, uh, these are heartbreaking things. You know, I'll, I'll sit in a marriage counseling session and you have people that have been living together for 20 years, and they'll both tell their side of the story, and it's like they've never met one another. It's like they live in different houses. And that's always difficult, and it's always painful. That's one kind of difficult. Um, there, there are steps of faith that are always difficult, and I think, Jonathan, that steps of faith are intended to be difficult. You know, there's always those questions when, when uh, you take a step of faith, and, um, and at first it doesn't look like it was the right step, uh, and you're being criticized for it, um, you realize that, that people's lives are in the balance. Those are difficult things, but, but that's when the Lord is testing us to see, um, do we really believe him? So taking steps of faith. I've shared on this program before that our biggest problem here has always been money. We've never had enough. Uh, God tells us to do everything for free, and um, it costs money to do those things, and and um, uh, it's always been hard. At the same time, it's been so rewarding. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. But when you walk by faith, God is so pleased. You get to see the hand of God move in your life. So those are really, really difficult things. Um, it's difficult to watch people's lives fall apart. Um, it is gut-wrenching when I see people who refuse to be obedient to the Lord, uh, I, I see them 
try to justify their sin. Uh, some in pride will say, "No, I'm fine. God, uh, God, I'm fine with God." And 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 you 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 know they're falling apart, and you know things are going to get worse. And that is more painful than you can imagine. Paul, um, when he's talking about all the things that he went through. He talked about all the physical things. You know, I was naked, I was cold, I went hungry, I was in shipwrecks, I was beaten, I was uh, the, the, the 40 lashes minus one five times. Uh, Paul had, he was stoned, he had all kinds of difficult things. And then he had this line, he says, besides all that, I face the pressure of all my churches daily. And those are hard things. Um, Jonathan, we're going through something hard now with covid uh, people that I believed had really strong walks with the Lord are are um, are are so fearful of this thing that they've ceased trusting God. They've ceased being obedient to God in their own personal callings, and and uh, those are are heartbreaking things to have to deal with. So those are the hardest things, and all of the really really hard things deal with people. Um, pastors get criticized. That's part and parcel of the job. I don't think most of us think it's hard. We don't like it, but I, I don't think most of us would, would describe that as, as hard. It's just part of the job. Jesus told us to expect it. Um, but all those other things are heartbreaking. Regarding whether we consult people, um, I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of a, of a large group of affiliated churches. We've probably got 1,500 affiliated Calvary Chapel churches um, and we have communication. So uh, if and when we need counsel or we want input on something, there's always going to be somebody who's gone through. Uh, Paul describes God as the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our trials so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So there are, I know there are people who have been through whatever it is we're going through. And yeah, there are times when I will talk to uh, some pastor's Men that I know well, um, men that uh, I, I trust their judgment, men I know their hearts for the Lord. And so, yeah, we, uh, we will uh, consult them for counsel uh, from time to time. But typically, Jonathan, I don't mean to sound arrogant here, um, the answers are in the Bible. If you know the Word, uh, whatever it is that you're going through, um, the answer is in the Bible. It's either very specifically answered or it's answered in general principle. And uh, I want to be sure that my counsel always comes from God. Let me tell you a quick short story. I don't have anybody holding on the phone. Um, we were going through one of those money things uh, many, many years ago. And um, the Lord put on my heart because I'm crying out. I'm whining. I'll be honest. I'm whining. Lord, why are we going through this? It doesn't make sense. And the Lord said, put on my heart to call a, a man who... Uh, uh, is a friend and and uh, a man I respect a great deal. And so I called him. I said, hey, the Lord put you on my heart to call you and explain the situation. And then he gave me a whole bunch of counsel that I'm sure was great. I know this man loves me. Um, but when it was all done, it was counsel that was contrary to the direction God had given me. And so I started whining again. God, I called him and and you told me to call him, and he told me to do this, but you said to do this. And the Lord spoke so sternly, in, in a loving way, but so sternly to my heart, Jonathan. He goes, now you have to decide, are you going to listen to him, or are you going to listen to me? And boy, that was an easy choice to make, and it was um, just a matter of days uh, that we were delivered through that whole trial. But it was just God dealing with my heart. So, Jonathan, yeah, there's lots of difficult things that, that go on. It's a part of our everyday life. Uh, if you are a pastor, and I know, Jonathan, this is the call that God has on your life. If you're a pastor, you've got to get used to two things. You're going to live with a broken heart. Imagine what it was like for Jesus to walk through the streets of Jerusalem and see the pain, to see the people who are being taken advantage of, to see lepers, to see people who are crippled. And Jesus would think, I never intended things to be this way. Imagine the pain. And yet he walked always with joy. So what we've got to learn to do is, is to, to walk in joy with a broken heart. And the only way you can do that is to be with Jesus. In his presence is the fullness of joy. 
And apart from being in the presence of the Lord, there's no way any pastor, especially this one, there's no way any pastor can deal with these things. The only thing that we can do is be with Jesus and let him carry those burdens. The people belong to him. They don't belong to us. He's the one who can carry them. And so we have to keep giving them over to him. Not try to take too much on ourselves. Our job is to be there for the people. Jonathan, great questions. And I love what I've been hearing God doing in your heart. Thank you very, very much for the call. Here is a question from Carolyn. She wants to know if transgenderism is a choice. Uh, It is, Carolyn. Uh, By definition, it's a choice. Uh, God gives somebody a body that is male or female. Um, If somebody is struggling with their sexual identity or their gender identity, uh, they have to make a choice whether to give in to what they feel like or uh, be obedient to who they are um, with the body that God has given them. And it is a choice. Now, I understand there are times we don't like to make a choice, uh, certainly a choice that flies in the face of our feelings, but we're made in the image of God. And when we start messing with that image of God, then we're trying to be God. And, um, and again, I realize we live in a fallen world. I realize there's a whole bunch of people that are so unhappy and so miserable. They're willing to try anything. I understand there are real people who feel, um, if they're in male bodies, they feel like they're in the wrong body. The same thing is true uh, for women who feel like they're in the wrong body. Um, But our responsibility before God never changes. We have to be who God has made us and learn to be content with that. And the only way we can do that is by the power of the Holy Spirit, which means we have to be a believer. And Carolyn, what you see reflected in the world that we live in is, is uh, people who are in rebellion against God. And we Christians cannot be won over by their emotional arguments. We can empathize with them. We can pray for them. We can love them. But by and large, our responsibility is to present to them the only alternative that will bring them peace and joy. The only alternative is to surrender to God. And we know that for sure. They don't. So we got to tell them about Jesus. So yes, transgenderism is a choice. Um, it is a, a choice that will ultimately condemn somebody to separation from God forever. Um, We need to be gentle but direct. Uh, We need to be compassionate yet firm. Uh, And we've got to be men and women who simply will not give in, will not compromise with the world just because it makes our lives a little bit easier if we do. So yes, Carolyn, it is a choice. Here's an anonymous question. He or she says, friends of mine seem to be abandoning the idea of marriage. We're we're inside three minutes. I didn't realize that much time had gone. Uh, Friends of mine seem to be abandoning the idea of marriage and having children. Is this a sin? Um, Yeah, anonymous, I think those friends are probably not uh, Christians for sure. Um, You know, if you you aren't going to get married, you're you're called by God to live a celibate life. Um, what we want is, well, I don't want to be married. I don't want the responsibility. I don't want to have children bringing them in this ugly world. But I want to have sex. And so I'm going to play marriage or play house. And, and um, um, so, so, yes, it is sin. Um, I'm frustrated a little bit, Anonymous, because I've had Christians, people I'm convinced are Christians, who um, are so fed up with the way things are in the world that they decided not to have children. And uh, I think that's rebellion against God. Now, not that everybody can have, nor should everybody have children, but here's what every believer ought to do. Every believer owes it to the one who died for their sins to ask what his will for their life is. And I think we miss out on so much because we don't seek the will of God. We miss out on so much 
When in fact, all we have to do is say, Lord, I'm your servant. Do you want us to have children? Can you imagine saying no to a blessing that God wants to give? If Jesus sent an angel to deliver a message, I'm going to bless you with children. This is my will for your life. Can you imagine us saying no to that? And that's what we're doing. And I think it is not only sinful, rebellious, I think it is arrogant to make plans without considering what God's will for our lives would be. That's how important these things are. We need to submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every area of our lives. We think we get a right to pick and choose, but remember, Paul writes that we're not our own, we're bought with a price. It is our obligation to be obedient to the Lord. That'll be the last question that we get for today. As always, thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it very, very much. Tonight I'm going to be teaching Genesis chapter 24. Um, You can watch it at calvaryessay.com. Please keep the people in Louisiana in prayer. Hurricane Zeta is now hitting the coast, and they've had a tough, tough hurricane season. Hey, Lord willing, we'll be back tomorrow. Paul and I on the date-day edition of the program. You've been listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Uh,